All right, All right ladies cool. and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode. And my guest joining me today, he's a survivor legend, and he's better known as the Dragon Slayer. Coach Wade, how are you doing, sir? Awesome, brother. Doing good. Thanks for having me today. Did I nail the intro? Absolutely. Got it, man. Hey, Dragon Slayer, Coach Wade, legend. I mean, you know, man, you throw any of those names out, I'll be eating out of the palm of your hand. <laughs> well, I know that like uh, dad life's taken a lot more of your command these days, but do you still get that survivor itch from time to time or is that kind of uh, past at this point? No, I mean, I, you know, I, I still get asked. I, uh, I told him no the last couple of times. I've been asked for some of the shows as well. And um, at the moment, no, I'm straight. It's cool. You know, I just uh, live in the life of, of uh, Riley up here in Northern California. But you never say never. I retired. I retired. Heck, man, I retired from podcasting. And here I am. Uh, you know, I was like, I'm not doing any more podcasts about, I don't know, two years ago. I just got sick of it, man. I'm like, I am done. So you never say never. It's like any good superhero. Uh, the Dragon Slayer, in my opinion, will probably arrive on the scene at the exact right moment. And so we'll see. I think, you know, they're toying around with the legend season. That would be interesting. Maybe my kids will be old enough to, um, you know, to, to, uh, to feel comfortable for me to leave them. I do mm -hmm. a lot of the, you know, ins and outs. I pack their lunches for school. I make them breakfast. I make them dinner. I tuck them into bed at night. My wife owns a dance studio, so she's busy. Um, you know, during those crucial uh, hours, a lot of the time. So I'm in the trenches and I friggin' love it. It's the greatest adventure I've been on so far. And I've been on a few of them. <laughs> Have uh, the kids gotten a chance to check you out in any past seasons or are they not old enough yet? Yeah. My 13 year old, um, we started watching token chains. You know, I haven't watched my season since they aired, so that was kind of cool to start going through that with him. Uh, the the youngest two, five and eight, I, uh, they're not ready yet. But I mean, they all know, you know, they start talking about being famous and and I knocked that off like immediately, you know, being famous or whatever we we think that we are, you know, when we go on the show. That's not all it's cracked up to be. It's certainly not what the meaning of life is. I think the world will sell you something different. But uh, I, I try to keep them I try to keep myself humble. I try to keep them grounded because uh, they're always asking about it. You know, I got a crooked nose, big hawk-like nose, and I haven't changed my hairstyle. And I still am about the same weight as when I went on Survivor the first time. So a lot of people recognize me. Anyway, any place I go, you know, I'm, I've got, I wouldn't say I'm handsome like you, but it's like <laughs> I've got, uh, you know, striped features. So people recognize me all the friggin' time. It hasn't dropped off. I figured it would drop off. So my kids are around that a lot. Uh, and I try to keep them grounded. You know, that's my job as a dad to to emphasize the true points and the true meaning of life. Yeah. So if you run into someone in person, then say if like they recognize you um, just normally on the street, do you introduce yourself as a coach or is like the Ben thing ever come up? No, the Ben, the Ben thing never comes up. You know, I, mean, I was a college soccer coach for 22 years. If you're not going to call me coach, you know, that's like. You know, that's like you saying, you know, call me whatever, and I call you, you know, dipshit or something like that. It's it's disrespectful to call, you know, a head college coach of three decades by their first name. So um, when people recognize me, of course, they're not going to come up and say, Ben, if somebody, like, somebody says, hey, Ben Wade, you know, I recognize you from Survivor, I wouldn't give them the time of day. I mean, I worked hard to brand that name while I was coaching. When I went on Survivor, right before I went on, Jeff was like, so do we call you Ben or Benjamin? And all through casting, I was like, Coach Wade, Coach Wade, Coach Wade. And uh, going through casting, and Jeff says, so do we call you Ben or Benjamin? I said, you guys are going to call me Coach. And he kind of took a step back, and he said, okay. And when it was all said and done, we had my, I kind of like had an exit interview with him. And he was like, man, good job on that. Good job on us calling you Coach. And by that time, I'd even forgotten about it that first conversation. So people always come up to me and they're actually now it's interesting. You know, the dragon slayer moniker has really come around to people actually referring to me as such kind of as a term of endearment. Yeah. So I actually, most, I mean, when people come up to me they're they, they usually say dragon slayer and they are excited, you know, that they can kind of connect that, 
connect that name to me. Yeah, there's like a certain like respect level, I feel like, you know, when establishing that and having someone call you coach, right? So like if a teacher is teaching a class, the students aren't going to call her by her name or him by her their name. They're going to call them Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so. Is it more so about like the uh, respect thing with you is why you want to go by coach because it's like an honor to be referred to as someone that's leading or was there anything against like the Ben name? Um, I mean, I, I tell you the truth, you know, I, that's what people call me. It's only in, it's only the people that are involved in, with my symphony in the town that I live in that call me Ben, or sometimes they call me Maestro to be funny. Um, they're the only people in my circle of friends that call me coach. I started being called coach in college. I coached all my fraternity, uh, intramural teams, did chalk talk, did video. I mean, I was, I, I always wanted to be a coach. And so, you know, is it a respect thing? Sure. You know, and my friends call me Ben, like, you know, the symphony, my symphony friends call me Ben, you know, that's cool. My boss calls me coach. Um, my former boss calls me coach. So I just think it's just like, you know, that that's who I am. Maybe it's a little bit of a respect thing. Um, but it's just like, you know, dude, like I said earlier, if you, it's just, you know, it's actually just human decency. If you were to say, call me such and such, and I were to say, yeah, okay. And called you a different name. You know, that's just, who would want to do that? That, that, that would seem silly. And, you know, I, I said it on the show, even my parents called me coach for a while. And that kind of originated from my mom calling me chickpea in public one time. And I just told her, I said, mom, would you please stop it? I'm 26 years old for the love of all that's holy. Stop calling me chickpea. And she was like, okay, what do you want me to call you? You want me to call you Coach Wade? And she started calling me that. <laughs> and it was really funny. So when I said that on Survivor, you know, my parents obviously don't go around calling me coach. But for a time, I was just like, I'd rather you call me that than chickpea. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a much better uh, suited nickname, I would say, than chickpea. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, you certainly have kind of done something with the Dragon Slayer name. Like, obviously, I would say when your seasons were first premiering, social media quite hadn't found its footing yet. But now with, like, the added social media, you're able to kind of, like, use that name. as It's almost like your brand now. Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, you know, I, if you look at my Instagram, this is not a knock on anybody else. But if you look at, at uh, most people that have been on Instagram, I mean, most people that have been on a reality show, they're sitting out there every product i get that stuff all the time man i get 20 people a week saying why don't you promote this product and this product you look at my instagram it's pure i got nothing on there like that i'm not branding anybody else's stuff i don't need that i don't need the money i don't need that recognition and so you know the 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 i didn't even pay attention to my social media i started them posted very sporadically and you know, during during my seasons, they told us you cannot post on social media. Now they want you to interact. And so, you know, I felt like I was kind of late to the party with social media. But when COVID happened, dark cloud descended on the universe and people needed something. They needed some type of positivity, uh, you know, because it was like really doom and gloom there for a while. So I started paying attention then about two and a half years ago, you know built up the followers, but again, I'm not going to go out there and, and, um, I don't want to say the wrong word. So I don't want to go out there and, and, uh, you know, jiggle myself out for, for followers. So I just don't do that. Um, but I'm comfortable with what it is. I think I have a platform. The dragon slayer definitely is a brand. I don't sell t-shirts. I don't do any of that kind of stuff. I might one day, other people are doing it. Other people are ripping off my name and making money. Um, so maybe I will one day, but for the moment I'm comfortable with just let them do that. And I focus on bringing light to the world. I mean, that's like my number three meaning of life is we've all got magic inside of us. We've all got kindness. We've got love. Um, we have joy. The world tries to beat us, beat it out of it. us. You know, I was in middle school and kids didn't think it was cool that I was traveling around the world and wearing different clothes and, and being kind and being joyous. So, you know, they kind of like robbed me of that for, for a few years and sensitivity that kind of stuff we've all got that stuff man if we're not going to give that to our fellow human beings you know humanity is going to continue on this downward spiral hmm. was upbringing tough for you no no i just there's a couple of years where i was like wow i better be a tough guy 
or else I'm going to get friggin', you know, raked over the coals. So no, I, I, you know, I had a great childhood. I traveled the world. My father was a world famous mathematician. Uh, he had Fulbright scholarships, national science foundation grants. We lived in a bunch of other countries, but we always had a home base in the States, grew up in the South. Um, you know, but my parents were from California. So I never had that awkward stage, but I just, I think, you know, like you come to that realization that people are going to take from you and you've got to be able to protect yourself in order to, um, you know, keep people from taking advantage of you and, and, uh, and abusing you and, you know, and running over you. So I think that as I got older and more stable, I think that sensitivity came out more when I started having kids, you know, I realized, wow, you know, you don't always have to be the tough guy to nurture and, uh, and, and to take care of people and, and to protect people. So that's kind of, I've kind of evolved back into that person maybe I was when I was younger. Yeah, maybe in a way your younger years kind of shaped you and molded you for when you got older. So that way, once you got onto Survivor and even when you were coaching and such, it built you and molded you into a tougher person to take on such responsibilities. I think so. I mean, I've always tried to do great things. I've always tried to be the best at what I've done. I've obviously failed on that in Survivor in terms of winning, but in terms of being a recognizable character, you know, I'm probably in the top 10. I'd, I say that with, you know, all humility. Uh, but I've always done great things. So when you do great things, you know, and you cut somebody from a soccer team that spent 10000 to fly from another country and, and you cut them the first day of practice, they're not going to say good things about you, right? And, you know, when you wear toe rings and painted toes long before anybody was doing that, uh, when you're the best trumpet player in the world, people are going to take pot shots at you. So I think that, you know, people have been making fun of me my whole life. I have, I've always had a very uh, intensely loyal and large inner circle of people. And anybody outside of that circle, you know, can can piss off. And I think, you know, that was early on. I realized that that you have two choices in life. You can be a wallflower. You can be middle of the road. You can do nothing great. You can not push the norm. You can not go against the flow. You can do the status quo. You can be like all the other lemmings out there that want to be like everybody else. Sell yourself out on Instagram. Hope that the phone rings to get back on a reality show. You can do all that kind of stuff, or you can be authentic, and you can be an original. And you can put your stamp on things. When you put your stamp on things, when you do the opposite of what I just said, you're going to you're going to face controversy. You're going to face adversity. Those are great moments. And nothing great has ever been accomplished without adversity. So I relished those things. And, you know, my whole life kind of prepared me for Survivor. It, it did. But even the, you know, even the, even the toughest of us, man, it got me down. That second Survivor, you know, I came in with a plan to really seem like I was more human and not this character that was the Dragon Slayer. And I came in, you know, with a little bit more uh, chip on my shoulder. And, you know, broke down. And, and that was also a very empowering moment because it was like, hey, you can be yourself and have people talk about you or you can not wear feathers in your hair and you can do just like everybody else and you won't be recognized. So anyway, you know, it's been uh, I've had a great life, man. I've got no complaints. And, and those valleys that we go through, those are the only times that we grow. And, and, and knowing that, you know, I don't have it all figured out. But knowing that as I get older and trying to instill those lessons to my children, my students, anybody else around me, you know, that's part of my mission, I think, right now. Mm -hmm. How did you maybe get introduced to the orchestra at first? To the orchestra? Like to teaching the orchestra. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, so I mean, I was, I was like I said, I was, I, I was actually, when I was 18 or maybe 17, voted the best trumpet player in the world by the International Trumpet Guild. Flew to Dallas for an international competition. At, to that point in my life, I had actually won every single competition that I ever entered, whether it was regional, state, United States. And I, you know, I had, I truly had a gift of music from God. And my father was a trumpet player, and so I grew up in a very musical family. Did what I wanted to do. When I got out of college, I put my trumpet away. Did not play it for many years. When I moved to Susanville, uh, a small town in Northern California, to start their college soccer program at their community college, I realized there was a serious lack of culture here. And so um, somebody found out that I played the trumpet. They asked if I wanted to do a performance of the Messiah. I said, sure. I dusted off the trumpet, started playing again, you know, realized that having an orchestra could really fulfill this community. And so 
I started, you know, finding musicians, started small groups, a brass quintet, a woodwind quintet. That kind of morphed into that that uh, really profound moment in my life when I when I said to these few musicians, what if we started an orchestra? To me, it was just like a, a side thing, like a little side hustle, a lark. It would be fun, impact the community. But it ended up being something, especially, you know, with Survivor uh, derailing my soccer career. It was actually something that became, you know, kind of like uh, at the forefront of my life in terms of career and in terms of joy, longevity. And so it was something where that very first day I stood on the podium, there was like 18 musicians. We were terrible. I was terrible. I didn't know what I was doing. And I actually said to the musicians, I said, hey, if anybody wants to come and conduct, here's the baton. I had retired, you know, high school band director, retired choir directors in the orchestra. And, uh, you know, they said, no, you do it. You're, you're, you're up there. You do it. So and then I got a master's in music conducting. And, and then, uh, you know, then that's another chapter. So, of, uh, of so it wasn't it was something that just kind of stumbled into my lap with, with, with a lot of things survivor stumbled into my lap coaching i wanted to do trumpet playing i wanted to do the symphony you know just kind of like fell into my lap but you know those those open doors that happen once in a lifetime without any intrepidation or hesitation I have really just jumped through with both feet. My my wife says that I'm a I'm an opportunity junkie junkie. When the door opens, I immediately think, is God opening up this door? Am I supposed to go through this door? Am I gonna regret not going through this door? And that's really shaped my life. The kayaking thing really fell in my lap as well. So there's been those moments where I've forged my destiny. There's been other moments where I feel God has provided the opportunity to uh, to create that destiny from nothing. Was was soccer your first passion or was music? Uh, music was my passion. You know, music was something. I played baseball really seriously um, when I was younger. And then in high school, the baseball coach actually uh, was the soccer coach. So my best friend was on the soccer team. And my senior year, he said, you know, you should come out, man. We need some players. So I came out, uh, played on a club team in, uh, at the University of Tennessee. They didn't have a varsity men's team. I'm not a good soccer player. Um, but it was like, I really wanted to coach. So actually my first coaching job was to start a baseball team at Simpson college. And they asked if I wanted to coach another sport while the men's team was getting off the ground. And they were like, do you want to coach uh, women's soccer? And I'm like, women's soccer, how many people are on the field? Uh, I had to like, go back to the basics. I was like calling my friends, uh, to ask and coaching baseball and soccer side by side for the first four years of my career and realizing that I really developed this passion for the game of soccer. And my best friend, who is a men's coach, is an old, uh, retired, semi-professional English soccer player. He took me over to England uh, during the 98 World Cup when it was in France, and we went and watched every single game. And really, I got to see the East End, these hard, working-class English uh, blokes that really just wept when they lost. And my friend was like, do not say anything when they lost to Argentina, he was like, they're looking for any excuse to, to, uh, to smash somebody. And if you have any type of accent, it does not matter. You look different anyway. So we scuttled out the door and we, there were roving packs of people in the streets. The streets were like black man and East, the East end of London. These people were looking to just pulverize some poor international or somebody that had a different accent. So I didn't say a dicky bird, as they say in England, but, uh, you know, but that showed me, man, that like a Scottish coach once said, you know, some people say that soccer is about, is about life and death. It's, it's much more than that. Um, and so I don't I, when I was coaching, I felt like that was my philosophy. Not so anymore. You know, I take myself less seriously. I take the game of soccer a little bit less seriously, but I've had some some really highs in soccer. I've had a few lows. It just kind of happened by accident. And so then I chose to pursue a career in in coaching soccer and left baseball aside. So when making that jump onto Survivor, then what what did you tell like the soccer administration then when you were leaving? Um. Yeah, man, that was that was a, that was a brutal time in my life. Um. So, uh, um, you know, regret is a wasted emotion. So I don't regret much in life of anything. Um. 
there are things that I wish I could have done differently, you know, and leaving to go on Survivor was one of them. I didn't want to be a reality star. They asked me the night before uh, the cast was leaked in um, the CBS affiliate came up from Springfield. They had this big camera in my face and they were like, you know, tomorrow your life is going to change forever. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, well, they're going to release the cast tomorrow. I was like, and? And the camera guy was like, yeah, dude, you're going to be like famous. I said, brother, I've always been famous. And he chuckled at that, you know, and that's not me being, you know, arrogant, but I've been in the newspaper my whole life. I mean, you know, when I won the trumpet competition year after year, I was in the newspaper. I was on the front page of the LA Times for, you know, that first kayak trip that I took. So I felt in my mind, you know, it's like I'm already making a difference in whatever I do. So I don't think Survivor is going to change my life that much, although it did. It did change it a lot more than I thought it would. But uh, I wasn't looking to go on Survivor. I get a random email one day from the, the casting producer of The Bachelor, and he says, hey, your girl soccer team uh, at SBU uh, filled out an application and, and uh, saying that they've never been around anybody quite like you. And they thought that you'd be a good fit for The Bachelor. We don't think that you'd be a good fit, of which at the time I was 36 and single. I took great umbrage to that, man. I was like, what are you talking about? You know, I thought I was a ladies' man. But anyway, they didn't think well. So they, they just, I mean, it was this random email that came up and they were like, but just judging from what they say you've done, you should apply for Survivor www.cbs.com forward slash application or whatever it was. They didn't do many favors, but. You know, they just said, this is what you should go on this show. You'd be a two in for this show. So it was one of those moments where I was like, wow, is this destiny that's leading me towards this? And so I applied for the show. I wish I had that video. Um, I wish I had that video. Man, that video was, it was pretty cool. It grabbed their attention for sure. Me kayaking on CNN, me conducting my symphony me coaching soccer, me in the weight room, you know, it was like, it was like coach Wade, no holds barred. And, uh, but it was on a friggin' VHS tape back then. And I don't have that. I wish I had it. I'm sure somebody in casting has it somewhere, but anyway, um, you know, you're going through this casting process and they just have the crap scared out of, you, you know, just like if you leak, if you tell anybody, you know, we are going to cancel the season, even after it's filmed ridiculous stuff. That's not even true. But at the time you think it's true. And I knew nothing about survivor. I knew nothing. I didn't know about Ponderosa. I didn't know there was a challenge, a day off, you know, tribal council. I don't know any of that stuff. So I went out there really raw, which in hindsight was a really good thing. Uh, and I only watched a season or two in casting and realized, wow, they want to take the weakest player to the end. There's no honor in that. I have a got a unique background, you know, American Indian and, and, uh, you know, black German and Southern Han Chinese and Viking. And so I got all these backgrounds. I started studying warrior cultures I went on a vision quest when I was younger. So, I mean, I was into that anyway. So I was like, how can I do this game differently? Anyway, so I'm going through casting. When are we leaving? Can't tell you that. Well, when are we leaving? Can't tell you that. When are we leaving? Can't tell you that. You know, mom's a word, especially back then, dude. It's it's different now with social media. Back then, you did not leak the cast. People were following, people were finding out where Survivor was going. They were like, taking pictures of vans and windows so that they wouldn't take who was you know voted off it was crazy time anyway so um finally call me and congratulations coach you i knew it i mean i knew i was going to make the cast from that very first phone call and that, from that very first email and uh, i was like all right when are we leaving and they were like 10 days i was like i'm not doing it they're like, excuse me? I said, I'm in the middle of a college soccer season. We're off to the best start in school history. They're not going to understand. And man, the casting executive, she was so pissed. She's like, we're going to blackball you in Hollywood. We've put so much time and money into you. And I was like, I apologize about you putting time and money into me. I don't care about Hollywood. You can blackball me all you want. I don't care about that. So I turned down Survivor. They were pissed, man. They were pissed. They sent me an email. You know, this is how much money. Nobody tells us no. Anyway, I knew that the team wouldn't understand. And the NCAA, all the women's teams have a women's athletic director, and then you have an athletic director over the whole uh, department. 
So you've got an athletic director, and then you've got what's, what's called a SWA, senior women's administrator, and they're in charge of that. They're like athletic director for the men's, uh, for the women's sports. So, you know, a week later, three days before the cast leaves, I'm sitting there talking to my boss, and I was like, yeah, the other day, you know, the other day I turned down Survivor, and she was a big fan. She was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I turned down Survivor. She was like, you must be out of your mind. And I said, no, the team won't understand. The right thing is for me to finish this season. We were 9-0-1 oh, at that time, right? Nine wins, zero losses, one time. And uh, she was like, the team will understand. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I said, I'm not doing it. She was like, as your sports supervisor, I order you to call Survivor right now, call the casting executive, and tell them that you're going to go. I said, they're not going to understand. Anyway, long story short, she said, yes, do it. I did it. The casting executive was like, we don't want you. I said, okay, great, thanks, bye. And they were like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Okay, so if you promise and if you sign an affidavit, I said, I'm not doing anything. You want me? I'm giving you my word. I'm going to be there. So they were like, okay, great. So they were all excited. So now I'm back on season 18. And so, you know, it's like, what do you tell the team? What, I didn't tell my athletic director. I got fired because of it. And, uh, you know, just trying to do the right thing. Uh, I'd had a, uh, had had radi radiation on a, on a brain tumor that I had about six months before I actually collapsed on the soccer field. They took me to the hospital. I went through radiation. My assistant coaches were like, I was walking with a cane. They got, they took care of it. Good. But when this happened and I said, I got to go take care of stuff. Everybody thought it was me going back and that the tumor had come back. I didn't say that that's not what it was. So I misled them into thinking that I had something wrong and it was, it was foolish, you know, like looking back on it, I wish I was more knowledgeable about survivor and the casting process. I would have told the casting process, you know, guys that go to hell, I'd leave the cast. I'm going on survivor guys got to go. But I, I wish I would have handled that differently. So went on survivor, came back, guess what? The team didn't win a game after I left. Something that I live with to this day um, that makes me wish somehow, some way I could have handled things differently uh, on my departure. Got fired for it. You know, for every action, there's a there's a uh, reaction, and uh, I live with that. I live with that mistake. Wow, that is like one of the wildest casting stories I think I've heard. <laughs> so you had no like That's television, stuff, right? Yeah, you had no television aspirations or, or like any reality TV like uh, interest. Then I would presume. Yeah, I was just living my life, man. Yeah. I was like, you know, I, like I, I felt like I was a rock star anyway. So, you know, I didn't need anything from yeah. TV. And I think that's also, you know, it's like, I think that that grounds me now. I could name you, I don't know how many people have played, played Survivor. I don't know how many people have been on a reality show. Let's yeah. say 50,000, probably, probably more than that, right? Probably I'd more. say 49,950 of those people are hoping that they get a call one day to go yeah. back and do something that they really like to do. I'm one of those 50 that if Survivor, my wife asked me the other day, I went and filmed something down in L.A. on Sunday, down and back and um, enjoyed myself and thought, yeah, you know, the camera's right for me. I probably owe it to the fans and myself and everybody to go on to the show one more time on Survivor. But it's got to be the right time. It's got to be the right theme. I'm not just going to go out there and just do any old thing. And uh, Big Brother called me. I wouldn't do it. You know, anyway, so it's just, uh, I thought, yeah, maybe I should do it again. So I told my wife, she said, did you have a good time? I said, yeah, I liked it. I like being in front of the camera. Camera likes me. I like the camera. I'm actually an idiot. I'm actually not very smart. But when I'm in front of a crowd, when I'm on the soccer field, when the pressure is on, I become really smart and <laughs> really eloquent. So even when the camera flipped on in the studio, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just gained like 20 IQ points. I can actually think straight. Like right now, this is like not me in real life. This is me, high energy, you get good time. And I've always been really uh, uh, excellent at, at excelling under pressure. So Jessica, my wife said, well, what if Survivor went off the air? Would you be bummed? Because she was really trying to figure out where I was at. So I thought about I thought about it for a second. I said, if Survivor went off the air, I'd actually be relieved. You know, really? I don't really want to go out there again. I don't need it. I feel I owe, like I owe it again to the fans, myself, my family, the le the legacy, the legend season, kind of cement the Dragon Slayer. So, uh, I but I told her I said if it went off the air tomorrow, I'd, I'd probably be relieved, pleasantly surprised and pleased.
Yeah, because then it's almost like that chapter of your life, like, you can finally kind of close it, and it doesn't linger. Even when, like, you're not in it, in the game, there's, like, a game outside of the game, which is essentially social media and the fans. I mean, you know you know more than anybody. Do you see all the sycophantic BS that happens? Sycophant is a nice word for an ass-kisser. Do you see all of the ass-kissing that goes on in social media between members of a show that is like in their back of their minds, they're thinking they might play with that person again. So they're sitting there blowing smoke up, up people's butts and just, Oh man, you know, Oh, it's so awesome. And I miss you and this, and you're so awesome. They don't think that way. I mean, some people do. I'm being cynical. I'm being cynical. Forgive me. But it's like, they're all doing it because what you just said right there, man, they're still, they're still playing the game. And I'm yeah. doing it too a little bit, okay? I'm doing it too a little bit. I hate to say it as authentic as I am. I'm doing it a little bit. But uh, actually, I do it with Parvati, Boston Rob, Ethan, and Tyson. And chances are out of those four people, probably one of those one of those people are coming back. So even though I'm doing it, I'm probably, I'm probably doing it for the right reasons because I actually really do like those four people. Even Boston Rob, but uh, anyway, so yeah, I mean, those they're not all coming back, so it's not like I'm going out there and thinking, oh, this person's going to be on a legend season, so I got to go kiss their butts. But but you know, if if Survivor were off the air permanently, would I post on Boston Rob's stuff? Probably not. Poverty stuff, maybe. Ethan's stuff, I don't know. Ethan's stuff, nah. So you know, I mean, I I guess I'm still playing it too a little bit. Well, you kind of groomed Tyson into like kind of what he's become. You guys did your first season together, and he was your quote unquote assistant coach. And then you also shared your first emotional moment on television in terms of like letting your guard down and kind of letting people get underneath the hood a little bit when it came to like your mind uh, on the Heroes Villain season when you kind of broke down. It's kind of incredible what that dynamic led to. Dude, I've got the Midas touch, man. If you think about it, if you think about it now, I will say this, right? I'm listen, I'm going to say this, man. Like I'm a regular guy. I choose to do extraordinary things. I'm just a regular guy and I don't take myself seriously. I used to take myself really seriously. And in, in these interviews, I do get a little bit of that coach moxie back. Right. But let's face it. I have the Midas touch because I did everything wrong in my seasons and the people that I played with probably took a chapter out of coach Wade's book, how not to do things. But Tyson Cochran, Boston, Rob, those guys all did not win until they played with me. And then they were like, Oh yeah, this is what not to do. Uh, so it is cool to see that. Right. And actually Tyson, you know, he really become an afterthought in the survivor world. I knew for a fact, man, I got some deep connections in the survivor world on that side, not the cast side. Right. And Dyson was like, really. And I thought I'm going to go on blood versus water. I'm going to do it with my cousin. Maybe I'll do it with my wife. The contract was there. They switched the dates before my my kids, they switched the dates. So I moved my wedding. They switched the dates again. I freaking you should have heard that conversation. <laughs> I shoot them out and drop the f bombs about twenty times. I said, "Don't ever call me again. I'm done with you guys. I don't ever want to play Survivor again." So um, it was two weeks before they left. Wow. Well, they find somebody that's doing nothing that doesn't have a real job. Their choices are Ozzy, Tyson, and uh, you know, smattering a few of a few other people. Boss and Rob. Um, you know, it just gotten off the show, but there's not many people just sitting around that can leave in three days or two weeks time, whatever it was. I don't remember. Anyway. So they called Tyson. I told him, Nope, piss off. And they immediately called Tyson. So he still owes me royalty check from that season where he won a million bucks, which then caused him to go on marriage boot camp and come back for, uh, you know, uh, winners at war, which caused him to go to be invited to the challenge. So, uh, he owes a lot of his career to me, uh, for saying no to blood versus water. Wow, that I think that's a nice little tidbit there. Then, wow, I think many people probably thought that like your retirement was like, all right, th- this is it, like on the season twenty three, and that that was all it was. But we came fairly close to seeing you again. That means, yeah, it's it's, it's interesting, right? It was like 
you know, at that point in my life, it was kind of like my job. My soccer career was toast. I mean, I did still coach after that, but blackball from the NCAA and, um, you know, doing the symphony. So my, my, my schedule was a little bit more flexible. My bosses at that time really wanted to see me go on survivor again. And so it was almost, uh, almost coach 4.0. I'm glad I didn't go. Uh, I'm glad that I saved myself the longer that I'm off air. You know, I think the more people think, wow, there really hasn't been anybody quite like him. Mm-hmm. And so that, that means that that, that brings validity. If I ever come back again, did they try to get you onto the challenge too? I got, like I got some murmurings for that. And Tyson was talking to me and I think that I could have gotten onto the challenge. Um, but I just posted everybody on that. So I will tell you a funny story just about the, you said about 23 and you thought that, you know, I was retired. I'm good. I'm, you know, like I'm, I don't know if I'm good friends with Jeff Probst in my mind. I am. He probably doesn't think that, but uh, you know, we've had some really good conversations over the years and at the finale of 23, uh, before we went, we took the stage. I, I still thought I was going to win, um, but I was talking to him one-on-one and uh, before the show. And, I, and, and he was like, man, he's like, you had such a great run. It's like, I never would have thought you could do it. And, you know, you were supposed to be voted out and you led from start to finish. You never were in jeopardy of getting voted out. And I said, yeah, it really was quite incredible. I don't think people really want to coach on Survivor, but for whatever reason, that tribe wanted to coach. A lot of it had to do with Albert. He was a great assistant coach, great at like pushing the team mentality and and validating me behind the scenes. Most underrated player, I think, in Survivor history. But um, anyway, so, you know, um, I said, you know, probes, you know, should I, should I ever go back again? Because I really feel like I should retire after this. And he thought about it and he was like, well, you know, from a production standpoint, we talk about you every single season. We'd like for you to come back every single season from a production standpoint as your friend. He was like, you're never going to do better than this. You'll never have a better season than this. And I would retire. It's pretty cool. It stuck with me all these years. Yeah, it's almost like the ones that kind of come back continuously, like brand themselves in a way, right? Like there's there's the situations from prior seasons and their stigmas kind of linger with them. So it almost makes it impossible to A, make it to the end and then B, going on the show in general becomes pointless because then it draws you so far out of your normal routine and schedule in your real life. So it's like, at what point is it even worth it? Right. I mean, I think, you know, like nowadays, you know, you look at the prize money. I was really pleased that they made winners at war 2 million. I mean, that's what the show should be anyway. You know, a million dollars after taxes in California gives you $540,000. You know, that might change your life, but at my status and my station in life right now, that's not going to change my life at all. I wouldn't buy, I wouldn't buy a car. I wouldn't buy a house. You know, I've already got those things, man. I got a Maserati Gran Turismo in the garage, and I got the car from Mad Max and Mafia 3. It's a 72 Buick muscle car. I don't need any cars. I'm not, nothing's going to change. Um, so, you know, it's like, why go out there? What What does the opportunity cost with the family and even financially? I made 30000 as a soccer coach a year, right? I was broke as a joke, man. So getting, a, getting a, the possibility to win... 30,000 on survivor after taxes, which I did, um, you know, at least each time that was actually like, cool. That's like a year's wage. Now I'm losing that money and how much money am I going to get? So that the, it's just, is it really worth it? And, you know, again, like you said, branding yourself coming back and back again. Although I think if I went back there, I mean, I've already branded myself. I am literally a one trick pony. I am loyal. I am easily duped. Everybody's going to beat me at final tribal. So I think that people will want to play with me. I think a lot of people will say this guy can just be led around uh, by the nose. And it doesn't matter what I want to do. When I go out there, I cannot do anything else. It's my, it is my armor. Survivor sucks. Okay. Survivor sucks. I'm 50 years old now. When I'm Bushman, when I'm in the Amazon, the Orinoco, the Congo, the Darien Gap, when I'm kayaking six months in the Pacific Ocean, and it sucks, and I think, and there's a real, very realistic chance that I'm going to die. That's the that's the uncomfortability, right? And the monotony. But I got a dry bag, I got clean clothes, I got something to eat, I got a tent. On Survivor, you probably will not die, so you take that factor away. You play with a bunch of friggin' knuckleheads, 
um, that don't really care about you at the end of the day. And, uh, but you are not eating and there is nothing dry and this, you know, so it sucks. It's miserable. Uh, and so I can't, that's my armor. I go out there. I cannot play any other way. I thought on heroes and villains, you know, maybe I'll try to not be a man of my word. And the second I hit the beach, it was like, my word is my bond. This is how I am in real life. This is how I'm going to be on the show. And I couldn't get out of that. Um, you know, I couldn't get out of that branding, so to speak. So I think that I think that people will want to play with me. So that means I think that I'll have a decent shot if I go on a legend season. But uh, I don't ever see myself winning. The game is not meant for somebody like me to win the game. Nobody wants a coach. Nobody wants honor. Nobody wants to take the strongest to the end. And nobody wants somebody that's put together mm-hmm. that has a very happy life that's not searching for Survivor to make them whole. That's not sitting there at Tribal Council saying, Survivor has really changed me and made me who I was today. I can't say that. So at the end of the day, I'm not going to win Survivor. When you first came on to Survivor, your first season, was that your intent when it came to kind of changing the direction of the show with getting stronger people to the end? and kind of playing an honorable game. Was that your intention? Absolutely. hundred percent. I mean, when I went out there and again, it was just a fleeting thought the second time around, you know, trust nobody, slay everybody. I said that in the promo. And then I realized that's just not me. So I'm going to continue to do that. You know, I actually, I'm going to change uh, subjects or change the, change my answer and just flip to another season to show you just how much it means to me. Uh, Cochran and Edna came up to me. This is in season 23 for people that don't know what I'm talking about. And, um, and Boston Rob texted me at that time and said, you've won the game, man. Congratulations. You're in the club. And then Cochran came up to me and said, you've won this game. Cochran was like, nobody likes a turncoat. Edna was like, you are literally dragging me. If you take uh, us to the end, you've won this game hands down. And, uh, and congratulations, we're never going to turn on you. And I knew that they weren't going to turn on me. And, um, and I thought about it and I agonized over it. And it's like, I made a commitment, my word on the very first day, these five people are going to get to the end and Cochran and Edna were not in that list. And so I pissed on a million dollars and I did, I did that knowing that taking Albert and Silva to the end could be my demise. I've made that decision 10, 10 times out of 10, brother. There, what is, you know, like, what is your cost? What do you sell out for? Are you worth a million dollars? If somebody told you they give you a million dollars, um, if you went out and started uh, filming pornos, well, if somebody says, I'll give you a million dollars if you go out and cheat this old lady. I think most people have a, a price. I don't have a price. There's not a cost that's going to make me compromise. Um, I've done it before. I did it when I left that first time. I compromised my integrity. I plan on doing it again. So going back to the first season, um, I started looking at the show during casting and realizing, you know, I, I probably can't say this. You'll have to bleep it out. But I'm like, what the fuck is this, man? Like they tried to get me for the first season. Okay? I, I was on the front page of the LA Times. They reached out to me to be on the first season of Survivor. And when I got the, uh, they sent me a flyer and they were like, you need to be on this show. The show is made for you. And I looked at the flyer and I'm like, heck yeah, man, let me see what this is all about. Oh, it's about cheating it's about lying it's about it's not about who can survive the longest out there it's actually about it's like a game it's like a, so i'm not going to do it so i boycotted it. it's part of the reason why i never watched it and um you know so you fast forward watching the show and i'm just like this sucks man like what what is this what honor is this you know you look at the ancient samurai nobody wanted to grow old the vikings nobody wanted to grow old Somebody that was sitting old and fat means that they weren't a true warrior. They wanted to be decapitated. They wanted to be lanced through the heart as they were defeating the chieftain from another tribe. There was honor and defeat. My soccer team, I, man, you know, my winning percentage, that's something that we don't, you know, I never really talk about. My winning percentage was 0.908 for 22 years of soccer coaching. I started six programs from scratch in that time. I was the number two winningest active soccer coach behind Anson Dorrance for most of my career. So I'm going to take my team in the NCAA and we're going to go play uh, Lebanon High School and beat them 20 to nothing. Who would stand for that? Nobody would stand for that. If we go and lose to the University of Tennessee, one to nothing in a freaking epic showdown, that's where it's at. That's why we coach. That's why we seek. 
to uh, to play games that have scores. So with Survivor, I'm like, this sucks, man. And I'm going to bring in this history. I'm going to be bring in the layers of Viking heaven. I'm going to bring in the samurai culture. I'm going to come in here and I'm going to really try to tr- to change this game and make it be about empowering people instead of getting people at their lowest and then asking them to make poor decisions. You want to know how people really are that have been on reality shows psychologically? Not good. <laughs> they're not. They're not good, man. I talked to a production company down in LA. I said, "You gotta, you gotta do a real a reality documentary. You gotta do a, ra- a documentary called Surviving Survivor, right? I mean, it's bad, yeah. and it's partially because of that. It's partially because these people who were maybe not anybody now become something." And it was a struggle for me. The second time you go on, it's not as manic. People don't care about you as much. When you go back a third time, it's a little bit less. You're never going to feel that. It's like your fat cells. You get them big, they're going to shrink, but they're never going to shrink all the way. You go out on Survivor the first time, you go on Big Brother the first time, it explodes all the attention, and then it starts to fade. They're always wanting to fill up those um, fame fat cells and feel that what they felt that first time never going to happen. And so, you know, I really wanted to change it to be about empowering people. And that was my biggest mistake the first time I thought I would really go out there and say, look guys, let's use this as, as I've used things in my past to make ourselves men and women in this day and age when a light to the world is few and far between. And, uh, that was my biggest mistake. People didn't want that. So anyway, yeah, 100%, that was my goal, to take the strongest to the end. You know, that's why when Sierra said, hey, you know, you should vote out JT, you should vote out this person, this person. I was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to take the strongest to the end. And if I die in that battle, then be it. Do you feel like you were misunderstood at all on the show? Because, you know, they painted you as like the moniker of the villain on the villains team for the second season. But your motives were very clear, like to play an honorable game. So that way, it's kind of like a little bit of a confusing thing to see you kind of painted as like a villain. Do you feel like you were misunderstood on the show? I mean, but it wasn't a great. It wasn't a great that I was the biggest oxymoron that the show has ever seen. Nobody knows where I'm coming from. Why do you think production likes me? Because I can be philosophical. I can be kind of athletic. I did what wasn't the first time, but I can be a little bit of an athlete. I can be a coach. I can be sensitive. You know, I can quote Nietzsche. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, a complete crazy person that some people think. The producers loved it. And it was hard at first, you know, that's why I was so distraught in the second one. Was I misunderstood? Yes, I wasn't misunderstood by production, I'll tell you that. They knew exactly what they were doing, and thank goodness they did it. As brutal as it was, and as difficult as it was, as difficult as it was for my father to call me mid-season of that first show and say, I'm not going to watch this show ever again. My whole family boycotted it. And I said, Dad, you got to watch. It's going to get good. I think they're going to turn me turn turn. I think I'm going to turn into some type of hero at the end. My dad was like, they're making a jackass out of my son on national television. Why would I want to watch that? As tough as all that was, I could have been a nobody. They could have ignored me. They could have said, this guy's too eccentric and we're just going to snuff his storyline. There's been a lot of great people out there on Survivor. Look at Albert. Albert was a classic example. Great storyline. They freaking snuffed his torch, man. They snuffed his torch. For whatever reason, maybe it was because I was out there getting all the camera time and they only had one room for one coach. But uh, there's a lot of great people that apply and they just don't get get it. So I'm glad that they missed something. Yeah, and you had uh, one of the best episodes referred to in the history of the show on your first season i believe it was episode 13 the martyr's approach and that was the episode that you went on exiled you had a quite the crazy exile experience from what i read right i I read something about like two like cats or something was what you encountered and um doesn't matter to me if you've watched the episode or not, if you've watched it recently or you've watched it when it came out, doesn't matter to me. I would encourage you to go back and watch that episode, man. That episode is one of a kind. Um, and again, what honor they did did to do that. Um, you know, at that point in the show, 
I was actually completely caught up in the now. There was no, you know, reality outside of that moment. And the doctors, you know, they said the same thing. They were like, do not go without food, do not go without water. Your body, I, I, I mean, I lost eight inches of muscle around my chest, right? And I was a 44 going in, I was a 36 coming out, I was 149 pounds coming in and when I went or coming out and when I went through casting I was 205 pounds wow. so uh I I was I was emaciated and um my body was just getting stronger it was a beautiful thing it's really a an affirmation of the power of the mind you know we're using 10% of our brain and I was so completely without distractions there was no cell phone there was no, what are you going to wear? There was no networking. There was no emails. There was no recruiting. There was no job. My job was to be in the moment at a very high level of meditation, Kochi, Qigong, whatever you want to call it, um, and praying, singing songs every day. I mean, I was like, I was like walking with the creator of the universe out there. And it was powerful, man. I'll tell you, it was powerful. And getting sent to Exile Island, it's the most it's the favorite place I've ever been to in this world. And I've been around the world literally 10 times. And uh, it is the it is the place that I will go to before I die. If I couldn't go travel ever again, that's one place I'm going to go before I die. And they say that there's these massive crystals underneath the surface. It was spiritual and it was epic. And when I went out there, I was on another plane. Literally, you know, like you see the, you know, you people make fun of it and, you know, uh, Buddhist priests that are, that are, you know, on another plane and, you know, they're up in the clouds. I was living it, man. It was crazy. And so it was great that they honored that episode and showed me physically pushing my body to the absolute limit. There were big cats out there. There was anacondas. I was in my element. Um, no fear of anything to, uh, to just go out there and really embrace everything that that uh, exile had to offer and it was interesting because you know like my body was falling apart i couldn't breathe my back was killing me i was like an old man hobbling around and so i was afraid to go to exile in fact i watched that episode the other day because my students want to watch wanted to watch it they were like during finals we're done with all of our projects can we just watch something can we watch uh, an episode of survivor so i played that episode and so i haven't gotten to that episode with my son yet so i hadn't watched it and I was just like, oh, my gosh, man, you're whining and you're you're, you know, you're really acting like a baby. And I was kind of like, upset, you know, seeing it after all these years. But, you know, seeing how I pushed my body through that, it was a, it was a beautiful thing to, to watch. How, what happened with when you saw the cats? Like, were, were you like uh, trying to get away from them or like did they get away from you? Like, how did that sequence go down? OK, so I mean, I didn't actually so I physically did not see the cats. I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you the story. Um, so when I'm going out there, the producer is driving me out there with a truck because it's like it's like out in the middle. And I mean, we were in the middle of nowhere. Exile was in the middle of nowhere. And so uh, he's driving out there and then we park and then I hike in about 20 minute walk, I'd say. So as he's driving out there, you know, they're not allowed to speak to you. And I'm like, what's happening, dude? And he's just like, you know, does that. And I was like. Well, how long is this drive? We might as well talk to each other. And he's like, we're not supposed to talk to you guys. I'm like, who's going to know, man? And so I started buttering him up. I'm like, how do you like your job? He was like, I don't really like it. And I'm like, why not, man? You're working for the greatest show on TV. He was like, I filmed three days of exile. I got all this content. And they show like 15 seconds. And I looked at him and I said, dude, we were going to change that. And he kind of looked at me and I was like, we we're going to change that. And so... He's giving me the rundown of what's out there. And he was like, there's, there are these two big cats. We're in their territory. There's two big cats. And he was like, you are not to leave my sight. And da 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 If you go to the bathroom, you tell me. I'll turn the other way. Yada, yada, yada. So we get there, man. And right and straight away i see these huge cat prints leading off across the sand dune and into the jungle it's a really cool place jungle savanna grassland desert like 
four ecosystems, completely diverse, meeting in this exact location. It's incredible. And uh, so anyway, so I see these cat prints, man, and I tell the guy, I'm like, hey, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna go to the bathroom. He's like, okay. So he turns his back, and I, I start, like, hobbling the direction of the cat prints. <laughs> and uh, he friggin' got so pissed at me. And uh, he's, like, yelling my name, and I'm friggin' hightailing it, man. And I get to the forest, and there are these big eight-foot-tall grasses, and there is this line that they've, there's like a gaming trail that they've worn through these grasses with their massive bodies and to get down to the water. So I follow that trail. The producer's running after me, friggin' cussing me out. Stop, stop. You don't know how dangerous this is. They were there, man. Like I could feel them, but I didn't see them. So anyway, so um, the second night I was there, the, the producer's an attempt. I'm sleeping out in the open, man. And I just had this sixth sense that it was like, hey, before you go to sleep, you need to scatter ashes from a previous fire around your body. You got to mark your territory. So I've been out in the open. So I took the fire, the coals, not the fire, I took the little embers that were dry. They were just the, whatever you call them, charcoal. So I put them around where I was going to sleep. And then I peed all around the outline of where I was going to be. I go to sleep. And in the middle of the night, I hear the producer in his tent and his walkie talkies going off and they got people out all over the place. They got snake, uh, snake handlers, big cat experts. They're all out over there, man. That was a wild, nasty location we were at. So they're in there on the walkie and they're like, the big cats are coming. And the producer's like, what am I supposed to do? And they're like, I don't know, but they're headed right for you. Stay in your tent. I'm freaking like out there, man. I just freaking go back to sleep. I mean, the producer was like freaking out. I'm like, hey, man, if this is how I go. And I, mean, I got a family now, right? So I'd probably be knocking on the guy's tent and climbing in with him now. But at the time, you know, I was invincible, man. I faced it. I, man, we could have 15 different podcasts of different, you know, situations that I've been in out in the bush where I didn't think I was going to make it to live, to see the next day, let alone the next minute. So uh, anyway, I just went back to sleep. So the next morning I wake up and those cats came. And they were the two, a two pair of big, massive paws. It's in the sand, so you can see when they're leaving their tracks. And they circled around me several times in the night. And we're talking, they were, they were inches from me. Because wow. that's where their parents were. And the producer saw them the next morning, man. He was like all freaked out. And just like, we're good, brother. That's not my, not my first rodeo with, <laughs> uh, with Wildlife. So. It's pretty cool to see that. Yeah. This will be a final question now. I got to know after all these years, is Russell Hans still your arch nemesis? <laughs> to quote Boston Rob, you know, you put me back on the island with Russell, man. I'll kick his ass all over the island. Um, my, my, um, my, my animosity towards Russell has lessened over the years. You know, he's apologized for voting me off. He's like, it was really Sandra and, you know, when I watched the episode, I was like, yeah, Russell did get a, uh, I did give him the short end of the stick. But, um, you know, you make friends out there. I try to let, I try to let water under the bridge, right? But, you know, there's certain people that if you play with again, you try to patch things up. But at the same time, I don't know. I don't think things could be patched up with him. I don't think things could be patched up with Aussie. I don't mm-hmm. think things could be patched up with, with, uh, with a few other people. Well, who knows? Maybe uh, since the century mark seems to be whenever they do these big themes, who knows? Maybe uh, season 50 will get a Legends theme and maybe that uh, maybe that situation will come to be. So you never know. But I think I, I think that they should have uh, I think season 50, they should have 50 contestants and they should have two simultaneous games going on. And it should be on twice a week. And you start with 25 on each tribe and uh, the first night. Five people, five people are packing. They get sent home. So now you got 40. But the tribes don't know that there's another tribe competing. So when they get down to the final five, they think they've made it. And then all of a sudden they get merged with another tribe and there's 10 people who would freaking do their head in. It would be like Survivor XL. Like they have Naked and Afraid XL. It would be like Survivor XL. It would blow everybody's minds. Well, now that you're saying that, they might steal your format. So who knows? <laughs> I know. All right. Well, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and sharing uh, some great stories today and just gracing your presence overall on my show today. And um, thank you so much again for being here. 
appreciate you asking me and uh you know i couldn't i couldn't sign off without you know just saying that you know i feel like i've been blessed in this land i'm at a place in my life where i want to give back to people and and uh, for those people out there that are chasing fame and power and money and uh just to tell them you know be careful man it's like chasing a ghost you you achieve that fame it's not enough you achieve that money it's not enough you achieve that power it's not enough seek things inside that will empower your soul and that will edify who you are on the inside and therefore radiate out radiate out to people on the outside of you it'll leave a ripple effect that uh, will long outlast and outshine your cognizant uh, thoughts of those words and deeds. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you again for those uh, great words of inspiration and um, have a great uh, rest of your day. Have a nice uh, time at the party. Awesome, my man. I appreciate it. And thanks for having me on. All right. Thank you.